0: So I uh, want to welcome you if you're just joining us online to Bethany United Methodist Church where we are uh, leading people to experience God's love, know Jesus Christ, grow in His image. We're glad you're with us this morning in worship and welcome to those of you in the room this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking about dying to wake up this morning. And as I start this, I want to remind you, this was a quote I used earlier in the year uh, from my friend J.D. Walt. And it's just one that's kind of stuck with me. Uh, the biggest obstacle to spiritual awakening is that we already think we're awake. And the first time he said that, it really, it really hit me, and I thought, whoa. Because, you know, my, my first thought is do I think I'm awake when I'm really not? I mean, and what are we doing? And, and they talked about how some of us are sleepwalking through our lives. And, uh, you know, by the time we realize what's going on, it's, it's, it's kind of too late. Now, now, I don't know if you have anybody in your family that sleepwalks. Uh, our daughter sleepwalked when, when she was younger. And the first couple of times, it kind of it took us a little while to figure out what was going on because she would come in and, and look normal. I mean, it wasn't like she had some funny look on her face or anything. She would come in and start talking to you, make perfect sense. And, and you'd be going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> And and once in a while she would say something that would give you a clue, you know, that it wasn't quite, you know, things weren't quite lining up, uh, like, you know, there's a computer in my room or something when you knew there wasn't a computer, so that would be your clue. But but, but other times she would do it, and, and really the only way you knew if she was sleepwalking was the next morning I would ask her a question about it. And if she remembered it, I knew she'd been awake. And if she had no memory at all, I knew she was sleepwalking. And so we, we kind of learned that as she, as she was growing up and, and, you know, didn't really worry too much about it. And then uh, when she was uh, living in Australia for a while, she misplaced an item and she was looking for it all through the house and couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't find it. And they finally just kind of said, it's late, we're going to go to bed. Everybody went to bed. And, and, and she woke up the next morning and the item was on the table by her bed. And she thought, wow, where'd that come from? And all of her friends that were sharing the house said, well, you went down last night to the garage and got it out of the glove box of your car. And she had no memory of that. And then we all kind of thought, uh-oh. Whoa, wait a minute. Everybody thought she was awake. And she went down to the car. What if she had gotten in the car and driven off? And, and we begin to kind of be afraid of, you know, well, what if, you know, what if? What what if you sleepwalk to the point of death? So what if you're sleepwalking to the point of death? Or, or maybe, maybe it is time to die, to wake up. Let's pray. Almighty God, come and be present with us this morning. Uh, awaken us from our slumber, Awaken us from our complacency. Open our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Awaken us to your presence. Let the words of my mouth the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Waking up, waking up, coming to life, coming back around, beginning to to be resurrected up. Jesus teaches, this is, and incidentally, if you've not been reading it, this, a lot of this is coming out of Luke 9, the ninth chapter of Luke, there's a lot in there. This week, go home and read the whole chapter. Just, just read your way through it. It'll, it'll help you set all the rest of this in context. But Jesus is teaching, and he says to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This is the, the simple recipe Jesus gives his followers. Here's the three things you have to do. Here's the three things you got to do. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. Those are the three things. And that sounds real simple until you start to think about that. Because we live in the land of, you know, take care of number one, right? Me first. I'm, you know, right? And, And he says, no, 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 deny yourself. Deny yourself. You're not number one anymore. Put yourself in the back seat let someone else be number 1 in your life set aside the things you long for set aside the things you're dreaming about set aside the, set aside the things you're planning for deny yourself that 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 is so countercultural to the world we live in that i think it's even hard for us to grasp just how far that goes the things I think of, the things I long for, my, my concepts about what should be happening, all that. To set all of that, kind of move that onto the back shelf and, and say, so I'm going to set that aside for a while. And then take up your cross daily. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it just says take up your cross. Luke remembers Jesus saying take up your cross daily. It's a little different. In Matthew's gospel, it has a little more of the sense of, of kind of like a final great one act kind of thing. But in Luke's gospel, the sense of this is every day every day pick up your cross. This does not mean, this does not mean, picking up your cross does not mean uh, drinking your coffee without sugar or milk in the morning. That's not what he's talking about. It does not mean skipping Starbucks. I mean, we're not talking about minor stuff here. He said take up your cross. You know, take, take this burden upon you that is going to be difficult at times or, or might even seem counterintuitive to you. Take up that which leads you in the path of sacrifice. And then follow Jesus. It, it is so countercultural sometimes, I think, that we, it's just almost impossible for us to get our heads around that. But, but this is what Christ calls us to. And as a, a, somebody has said, you know, when he says this to his disciples, what he's literally saying to them is, you know, you, you gotta die in order to live. You got to die in order to live. And a matter of fact, he, he, he makes that pretty clear, doesn't he? In his teaching, "Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it." What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now when Jesus said this, do you know his audience was sitting there going, "Hmm." Because you know when people say these things, we're always thinking about who, he's ta- who are they talking about, right? And they're right. I mean, people say, oh, is he talking about me? Is he talking about somebody else? But for Jesus' audience, they had a wonderful example, didn't they? All they had to do was look at King Herod. King Herod had it all. Built fabulous palaces and fortresses, had wealth, immense amounts of wealth, had tremendous amount of power. And yet he he lived in this place where he was so afraid of everything and everyone around them that he was having his own family killed, executed, so that they could not threaten his rule. And toward the end of his life, as he slowly lost his mind due to uh, various diseases in his body, he was all alone and isolated and terrified. what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Yeah, they knew someone like that. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. That has always been one of the more troubling passages in Scripture to me. I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you ever been somewhere where you felt, Jesus really wants me to say something at this moment, but you don't do it? Because you're afraid of how people will react. You're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of offending people. Right, every time I read this, I think, oh, gosh. Have I, have I done that? Have I, have I held back some time when I needed to speak out? because I was afraid of what might happen? Have I sometimes not, not spoken out because I thought that, oh gosh, people are going to think I'm an idiot or people are going to think I'm dumb or people are going to think I'm out of touch? And then Jesus says, oh, listen, if you're ashamed of me and my words, if you're afraid to witness to what Jesus has taught and who Jesus is, And the Son of Man is going to be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. It's one of those passages that haunts me. And and I hope it haunts you because it calls us to be bold in our witness and in our proclamation. And and frankly, in in our world right now, the Christian church is anything but bold. It's anything but bold. He says, listen, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loses, loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This this kind of counterintuitive thing, you know I mean? If you really want to see your life expand, if you want to see it multiplied, if you want to see it you know, bear fruit, you've you got to be willing to lay it down. I mean, it goes back to this little piece I, I used earlier in the year when I talked to you. I said, you know, awakening is not achieved by effort. It's received by surrender. And that is so opposite of what we're learning. I mean, I wasn't raised that way. Was you? Were you? I mean, I was raised. You, you try hard. You learn hard. You prepare. You do all this. You, you make your way. And, and then you encounter Jesus who says, wait a minute. <laughs> that may work okay for your job or some things like that, but... The, when it comes to your faith and your spiritual life, uh uh-uh. uh. Uh-uh. It's, it's not about your effort, it's about your surrender. And, and I don't know about you, but that, that continues to be for me one of the most challenging pieces of awakening into the life of God and the Spirit that I run up against. You now, I, I, I can't make that happen. I just have to be open and allow it to happen, to let God do this in me. And that's a challenging thing in my life, and and I suspect in yours as well. It's a challenging piece. What makes it possible is this. I have to trust that God has my best interests at heart, right? I have to trust that God knows the plans he has for me, that God has good plans for me, that God is going to bless this, Because I'm telling you something. I'm not willing to lay down my life. I'm not willing to sacrifice if I don't trust that who I'm laying my life down for and who I'm sacrificing for is worth it. I don't trust that that person has deep love for me and deep compassion. And I have to come to this from this, this place of trust. So he calls us in this, this really, you know, kind of simple, yeah, yeah, sounds really easy, right? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And it's so doggone hard. And yet, it's so amazingly rich when we begin to do it. Now, I am going to suggest to you that this is not one of those things where you, like, turn the switch, okay? Most of us are going to find, well, we do it a little and we back up. And we do it a little and we back up. We do it a little and we back. It's a it's, it's process of getting there, of letting God chip away at you piece by piece. And, and even in the early church, they, they, they ran into this. You know, I mean, they, they struggled with this. I mean, our, our friends in the church in Corinth who you know, we're coming into this and we're so on fire for Jesus and uh, so ready to, to go and much more, much more cooperative than the iPad is. Can I go that? Okay. What am I doing wrong here? Come, come, come. So you go to 1 Corinthians. He's talk, Paul's talking to these people who are, who are arguing, and they're fighting about, well, you know, I have this gift, and that makes me better than you. Where's the deny yourself in that, right? I mean, you, you get the picture, but nonetheless, we are who we are, and I keep telling people, don't, don't. Stop criticizing the church because you know what? The church is just a bunch of people just like you. This is who we are. We bring all of our garbage with us when we come to church, and God welcomes us. We're not perfect, we're still working on it. So you know, we just have to be gracious with each other and with our brothers and sisters in Corinth because they were arguing and fussing. And Paul's writing to them, he says, Listen, to each one, the manifestation, the witness of the Spirit is given for the common good to one there's given through the spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, another distinguishing, between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and the spirit distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, in the Pentecostal church, there's a distinction that's made. I'm not really sure that Paul's trying to make that clear of a distinction here. But in the Pentecostal church, they've kind of made a distinction between manifestations and gifts of the Spirit. And, and, and they talk about, you know, that spiritual gifts are given to build up the faith of others. It's a witness of the Spirit that speaks to the lives of others, whereas manifestations are given to build up our faith. So, those moments in, in worship where you were just overwhelmed and, and overwhelmed by the the presence and the power of God and just, you know, kind of reduced to whatever state that is for you, uh, that's a manifestation. It it speaks to your heart and your life. But but the gifts, you know, healing and prophecy that reach out and touch other people's lives are given to build up the faith of others. Now that's a distinction they've made over the years. I I don't know that I can say that Paul actually had that in mind, but what I can say is, is that Paul is really clear that all of the activity of the Spirit is built, is for the building up of the kingdom it's given for the building up of the kingdom, right? I mean, did you hear this at the, at the very end of this passage back here? If I can go back to it. You know, some Sundays, it, it really likes me and other Sundays it doesn't. At the end of that, he says, all of these are given for the common good by the Spirit. The Spirit does these. Not, not you, not me, but God is deciding. This is where this needs to go. This is what needs to happen. There it is. Just as he determines. And and, and then, you know, uh, can we go back to that one just before that, please? The 12, the end of 12 there. First Corinthians. I don't know. Can we? (laughs) No, we can't do that. So we're going to stay here for now. Uh, You know, I'm going to get that T-shirt and it's going to say, technology is wonderful, except when it's not. Because, uh, you know, some days it just uses, yeah, yeah. See, here at the end, all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. You know, the Spirit does all of this. It, again, it's not achievement, it's not effort. It, it, it's surrender, but the Spirit is working to do this for the purposes that God determines and for what God is trying to do, for the witness of the God, for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And the Corinthians struggled with it just like we struggle with it. And even the disciples at times had a hard time with this. I mean, they, they wrestled with this. They had these amazing moments in their life, and they still didn't quite know what to do with it. Now, let's see if it will go to it. Can we go back to the Luke there? And then I'll, I'll try to go in order, so maybe I won't mess it up. Uh, so we go back to the Luke, and, and, and about eight days, now notice we're still in Luke 9. Got this? About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Now, those of you who've been to Israel know that this takes place on Mount Tabor. Uh, And you can go there today. And and as you look, there's the village around the bottom. And and if you look really carefully at this photo, you'll see on the top of it what looks like a small white building. It's actually a pretty substantial church that's been built up there on top of this Mount of Transfiguration. And if you go inside that church, above the altar area, uh, there's a dome that has this mosaic in it with Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah and the disciples. Jesus in the center, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, all of the, the, the writings of the Old Testament pointing to him as the Messiah. I mean, this is what the prophets are seeing. This is an amazing moment. This is what the disciples are looking at. This amazing moment. How do you respond to something like that? What do you do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Next slide. As as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then I love Luke's comment. He did not know what he was saying. (laughs) Thank you, Peter. Thank you for, for being just like the rest of us right thank you Peter for being just a, you know a, a person who's strong in his faith but also sometimes just doesn't get it who doesn't get it right thank you because he gives us hope that as flawed as we are God can still work through us listen we're going to set up these three man it's so good that we're here he immediately reverts back into me Whoa, it's great that I'm here This is what I'm going to do for you, God. Isn't that what we do? We have our amazing moments in life where we encounter God. And our first response is often, we want to take charge of that moment. We want to own it. We want to shape it. We want to decide what to do with it. And while Peter was speaking... A cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice was, had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And the disciples kept them to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. <laughs> oh, we're going to do this for you, God. And God says stop this not you this is my son he's the one I've chosen listen to him listen to him surrender give up receive submit and the disciples are so blown away at that point they leave and don't say anything to anyone because suddenly it's all changed. It's all changed. Here's the message of that it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus, right? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Do you get that? I mean, all this, that's all that weaves through all these stories. Say that with me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It is not about me. It is not about you. It is about Jesus. When you begin to actually believe that. You start to wake up. That's why Paul, Paul writes and he says these wonderful words to the Ephesians Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. My friends, you can sleepwalk right to death, but I'm dying to wake up. Let's, let's pray. Almighty God, come and wake us up. Here we are moving through life and we think we have it, we think we know what we're doing and and the whole time we're just sleepwalking. So come shake us, rattle us. Wake us up. Remind us that it's not about me and it's not about others but it's about you. And allow us to move ourselves out of the way. Less of us and more of you. Amen. I'm going to give you some questions here that if you're wanting to have some discussion around any of this, just some questions. Uh, how does it how does it ease or stir your mind to hear that spirit-empowered ministry is more about surrender than self-effort? And how might God be drawing you into a new perspective about following Jesus? And and what might you need to confess or relinquish, let go of? to make room for God in your life? What manifestations or miracles can you identify in Luke 9, which means you need to read the whole chapter? Have you ever experienced any of the spiritual gifts or manifestations in your life? And do you believe, fully believe, in a supernatural God who is capable of supernatural things?